Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Some really troubling news uh, from Ukraine uh, mm-hmm. today. As uh, I don't even know where to begin here. Maybe Odessa is a good place to start. These attacks are incredible. It's just been you know, relentless uh, bombing and missile attacks, in this case, hitting an Orthodox cathedral that is a World Heritage Site. Mm. And you were reporting last week, you could probably shed some light on this, what's happening to wheat and corn prices after uh, this drone attack overnight. Russia used an Iranian-made drone to uh, hit the port of Rennie, which is sending prices uh, through the roof. It's just, you know, this thing just keeps on going. You, You come back, it's another Monday, and the headlines don't seem to change. No, and they're quite horrendous, as you point out, Joe. And we have to keep in mind that when we're talking about these attacks, we are talking about them taking place in one of the greatest breadbaskets of the world. Ukraine is a major exporter of grain. So when Russia pulled out of the deal and when these attacks started, the concern was that this was going to dramatically disrupt the flow of grain exports from Ukraine to the rest of the world. Hence the reaction you're seeing in things like wheat, with those futures up about 8.6% today after we saw a big spike initially next week. And to the attack that you were pointing out, Joe, that is a river port. Mm-hmm. And the concern here is that, yes, Ukraine does have alternate routes through which to get the grain out if they can't use ports like Odessa in and around the Black Sea, that they could use the river or other modes of transport. But if Russia's attacking those two, it starts to limit those pathways of getting this grain out. And that's when you really start running into trouble. It's pretty scary stuff here, and I'm glad that we have an opportunity uh, to talk about it with Daniel Freed. The Weiser family distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council spent time as ambassador to Poland. He was also assistant secretary of state for Europe and National Security Council senior director uh, with a great sense of what's happening uh, in the region. Mr. Ambassador, we welcome you back to Bloomberg Radio. It's great to have you. When you see Vladimir Putin uh Taking actions like this more than 500 days into this conflict, sending food and wheat prices higher as he weaponizes food, essentially, what does that tell you about the status of this war of attrition? It tells me that Putin knows he's not winning the war on the battlefield, so he's looking around for leverage. And the leverage he's chosen now is to hit food prices and hope that the threat of starvation will convince the rest of the world to pressure Ukraine to surrender. It's not going to work. But Putin is desperate. He's not winning on the battlefield, and so Mm -hmm. he's looking around for every club he can find. If you listen to Russian rhetoric, it's quite hysterical, with spokesmen talking about nuclear attacks on the United States or invading Poland. It's wild stuff and there's no almost no chance of any of this actually happening but it speaks to the mindset and the destructive bent that um russia is on uh the ukrainians uh have defended 
Kyiv very well against Russian air attacks, but those defenses don't seem to be working as well in Odessa. It may be because the Russians are attacking with different kind of missiles, but in any event, it is hurting, and it mm-hmm. it shows that the war is still in an intense phase, and Putin has not given up. But it also shows that he's not winning. I want to return to what you just said about this is a play at making the rest of the world put pressure on Ukraine to surrender, given what it's going to do to food flows and food prices. If not doing that, how can or should other countries respond to Russia weaponizing food? Well, much depends on the countries most affected, the African countries and countries in the Middle East. Uh, Putin has countered on the fact that a lot of these countries have not backed Ukraine strongly that they seem to be taking a hands-off position. But now their their interests and their lives are at risk because of what Putin is doing. And the best-case scenario would be if the African countries, for example, and there's going to be an Africa-Russia summit taking place soon, if they put pressure on Russia, hard pressure, to, to stop, to stop using their people as hostages and threatening their lives, uh, that might have an impact on Russia. That would be the best outcome. And some African countries have pushed back rather hard on Russia. I think the president of Kenya said that the Russian move was a stab in the back. So there there are things that the most affected countries can do. And, of course, Europe and the United States can and should help Ukraine export as much of the grain as possible, but just Given the infrastructure limitations and the attacks, that's going to have limited impact. The, the rail, there are only so many rail lines and um, between the Ukrainian and Polish borders, and they're pretty jammed up already right now. Yeah. Ambassador, you uh, made reference to Russia's lack of success on the battlefield. The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, uh, spoke on CNN about uh, the status of the fight here talking about impressive gains for Ukraine recently. Here's what he said. The objective was to erase Ukraine from the map, to eliminate its independence, its sovereignty, to subsume it into Russia. That failed a long time ago. Now Ukraine is in a battle to get back uh, more of the land that Russia seized from it. It's already taken back about 50% of what was initially seized. Now they're in a very hard fight uh, to take back back more. Seems that's important for people to know, that Ukraine has taken back half the land that Russia initially seized. But then as soon as you see a headline like that, Ambassador, you you see what happened, for instance, in Odessa early on Sunday, damaging an Orthodox cathedral in the city center, a World Heritage Site. How would you describe the state of this battle? Uh, Secretary Blinken is spot on right. Ukrainians had two major successful um, offensives last year, one against um, Kharkiv province, the other... uh, was liberated much of Kherson province all the way to the Dnepro River, and they're now trying to push back the Russians on the ground. The Russians are falling back, but only slowly. The Ukrainians are attacking Russian infrastructure, military infrastructure, and supply uh, depots, hoping to weaken the Russians so they can have a breakthrough. That's the battlefield. Uh, Russia is compensating for its the fact that it's on the defensive by going after um, civilian infrastructure, uh, by going after food and hitting civilian targets, 
in Odessa. So this shows that the Ukrainian fight uh, is succeeding, although more slowly than the Ukrainians and we would want. It shows that the Ukrainians do have a reasonable chance at success. I'm not saying their victory is inevitable. I'm merely saying that it's possible Mm -hmm. and that therefore the United States and, and European countries need to be all in and providing Ukraine the weapons it needs to have the greatest possible success. That's air defense, as President Zelensky said. That's long-range artillery missiles so the Ukrainians can put um, Crimea at risk and hopefully undermine Putin's strategic position in this war. Well, as you talk about providing weapons, Daniel, to Ukraine, there is, of course, the cluster bomb issue. The U.S., earlier this summer, making the decision to get those uh, to Ukraine despite concerns about potential uh, civilian casualties, collateral damage. And this is something that John Kirby spoke with Bloomberg about just last week on Balance of Power. Take a listen to what he said. The reports that we're getting from the Ukrainians are that they're using them uh, in the, in a responsible way, in an effective way. They're getting behind Russian defensive lines and going after units and command and control capability uh, for the Russians. Uh, they're being judicious in the way they're using it, uh, just like they promised us that they would. And, of course, even before we made this decision to give them cluster munitions, uh, we've been helping them uh, with demining efforts, and that will absolutely continue whenever this war is over. Uh, and the Ukrainians know that they have our firm commitment. To that. He, of course, is the National Security Council uh, coordinator speaking there. So yep. what is your view on this cluster bombs decision, knowing it took the U.S. a while to come around to that conclusion? And I'm just wondering if reluctance to send other weapons and supplies may ultimately be sent as well, despite concern. I think the cluster munitions decision was a tough one. I think we made the right decision in the end. Um I think that the cluster munitions do have a military use. I also think that we were concerned that we that we didn't have the stockpiles of other kinds of munitions. So the real decision was, are we going to send cluster munitions or none at all, or very few? So I think they made the right decision. Yeah. I hope the administration makes the decision soon to send the so-called attackums, the long-range artillery. Last week, it looked like we were moving toward the decision uh, over the weekend, there were press reports that we weren't. To me, as an old uh, veteran of many administrations, that sounds like a debate within the administration that's finding its way into the press. I think we need to make that decision and help the Ukrainians. Uh, I think the, the sooner the Ukrainians succeed on the battlefield and undermine the Russian position, the sooner this war will end on terms that are sustainable and just in terms Ukrainians can accept, which is would be in the American interest. Success is not inevitable, but it is possible, and we ought to be forward-leaning as we try to help the Ukrainians achieve that success. We're spending time with Daniel Fried, the former ambassador to Poland, now at the Atlantic Council. Uh, what jumped out to me in that conversation that we had with John Kirby on Friday, I haven't heard him say this anywhere else, and, and I, we did ask him about this directly, Ambassador, is whether the U.S. would commit to helping Ukraine go back post-war and dig up, neutralize, and and handle all of the undetonated munitions that came from those cluster bombs. He said, yes, absolutely. That was part of the agreement. How unusual is that commitment? Um, 
everything about this war is unusual. That is, the United States has not been, has not provided such weapons to a country fighting off an aggressor in a, without being a party to the conflict itself in a very long time. This is new. I'm glad he made that offer. Do you believe Uh, it? And that was, oh yeah, sure I do. Um, I think it is, having sent cluster munitions, I think it would be unconscionable and unsustainable for the United States to walk away and say, well, we're not going to help you demine. Hmm. Of course we're going to help them demine. But you notice he said when, when the conflict is over. Right. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how you define over, but I think the offer is both good and credible, and I think it's the only thing we could do under the circumstances. Of course, the conflict being over is a timeline that none of us can really anticipate at this point. Uh, well, but, but you're spot on right. Um, you could have a full agreement, you know, an actual peace. You could have a, a kind of weird armistice where the underlying issues aren't, um, aren't resolved. You could have, there are several other scenarios. Much depends on the battlefield. And don't forget, the Ukrainians are under pressure. But the Putin system seems to be under pressure as well. The Prigozhin mutiny showed how brittle that system can be. And Prigozhin's not the only person in Russia dissatisfied with the results of, of the war so far. So you're dealing with a lot of variables, and many of those variables could break Ukraine's way and our way. Last one for you, Ambassador. We only have a moment left, but as the former ambassador to Poland, I need to ask you about what we're hearing from uh, Lukashenko, uh, the president of Belarus, warning that the Wagner Group wants to march on Poland. And apparently uh, the Poles are moving moving troops around. Your your initial reaction tells me pretty much what I need to know. You think it's a joke? Um, The Polish military would make short work of Wagner on its own. Okay. They're not on their own. They're U.S. forces, including in northeastern Poland, a U.S. combat battalion. Um, U.S. Other, other U.S. and NATO assets are available. Um, Putin knows with the bulk of the Russian army committed in Ukraine, they have no chance taking on Poland or any other NATO country. Uh, they are trolling us. They're trying to panic, wave their arms, throw mud, rocks, spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks. Nope, Got it. Not going to happen. I love a definitive answer from the ambassador. Daniel Fried, we thank you as always. Now at the Atlantic Council, former ambassador to Poland, former National Security Council senior director. With Kaylee Lines, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. 
But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. It's not often the vice president gets on a plane to rebuff a governor, but that is what happened the end of last week in Florida as Kamala Harris delivered a speech criticizing Florida's controversial black history standards adopted by the State Board of Education. This turned into a back and forth that lasted the weekend and is one that some might suggest, some might argue, is now hanging over Ron DeSantis and his presidential campaign. Here's Kamala Harris. Let us not be distracted by what they're trying to do, which is to create unnecessary debates to divide our country. This is unnecessary to debate whether enslaved people benefited from slavery. Are you kidding me? Are we supposed to debate that? Now, DeSantis spoke in Utah over the weekend uh, alongside more than a dozen state lawmakers pushed back on what he heard from the vice president. I mean, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. It's totally outrageous. You guys can look on the website of the Florida Department of Education. You know, they got a lot of scholars together to do uh, a lot of standards and a lot of different things. But these are the most robust standards in African-American history, probably anywhere in the country. Now, if you haven't been uh, in touch with this whole story, the standards were just approved last week. They do not come from Ron DeSantis, but of course, this is in Florida and he was asked about it. They include instruction for public school students that enslaved people, quote, develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, unquote. This is where we start running into an issue. And the governor was asked about that at that same event. I didn't do it and I wasn't involved in it. Um, but I think um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life. Um, but the reality is all of that is rooted in whatever is factual. They listed everything out. And if you have any questions about it, just ask the Department of Education. You can talk about those folks. But I mean, these were scholars who put that together. It was not anything that was um, that was done politically. And so now headlines are running that the Florida governor is doubling down on this stand. And it's a potentially bad look for somebody running for office, particularly one who wants to eat into the polling and fundraising of a Senator Tim Scott. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, are with us here. Uh, Rick, how deep did Ron DeSantis just dig the hole? Yeah, it's a pretty good-sized hole, uh, especially at a time when he's trying to reboot his campaign and, and try to convince donors 
not to go to other people. I mean, this is one of the biggest issues they had is that donors were starting to get tired of this anti-woke war that he'd been uh, waging against everybody, whether it was, you know, the corporations like Disney, uh, now the education system, um, you know, other uh, 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 different, you know, cultural classes in America. And it's just not where donors want to go. You know, at a time when the president is so vulnerable on economic issues. Why aren't we talking about economic issues? So I, I think this is a hard sell. And as you could hear from your thought, they, he's pulling back. I mean, oh my gosh, call the education department. This sounds like something they came up with, but he came up with the education mm-hmm. department. They're his people. That's right. So uh, I thought actually vice president showed a lot of agility by rewriting her, her schedule to get down there and take it to him directly. Because at the end of the day, this is what the government has to figure out is how they manage a presidential campaign in amongst doing their day job. Yeah. And this was the first time I've seen, you know, some agility on the part of the Democrats to actually take advantage of what is clearly a faux pas by, by DeSantis. What did you make of that move by Kamala Harris, uh, Jeannie? She apparently gave them eight hours notice or something to get on an airplane here. Yeah, she did absolutely the right thing. And and if Ron DeSantis wants to talk about ridiculous and outrageous, let's go back to the fact that these scholars and other people did not just come together. He signed a bill in 2022 called Stop Wrong Kids, Stop Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, or the Stop Woke Act, as he likes to call it. Yes. And that is the act that brought these people together. And that is why the curriculum was reconsidered. And for him to be tying himself in knots, trying to make the case did i just hear this correctly that skills as a blacksmith led to something later on in life was a positive thing so we can reconsider slavery this is uh, you know not the calling card you want to be using and neither are the terms i didn't do it and i'm not involved in it which is what he said who wants a president that's going around saying i didn't do it and i'm not involved when he signed the bill it is outrageous to his point it is ridiculous but it's not kamala harris visiting it's what's happening in florida under his watch do you agree with rick uh, that administration wide this has been a success uh we saw a statement that came out from cedric richmond called it utterly evil a sign of extremism among republican presidential candidates it is and and you know sometimes i look and my jaw just drops it's as if ron DeSantis is working for the democrats to mm. rick's point why aren't you talking about the economy why aren't you talking about issues people care about and vote on these are these issues that he keeps coming back to whether it's disney whether it's you know these woke issues that he wants to talk about that are doing nothing but driving down his support and his poll numbers and his ability to raise funds tell the story. Latest, uh, we've seen Rasmussen out with one today, Trump 57, DeSantis 13, Fox Business over the weekend in Iowa, Trump 46, uh, DeSantis 16. Has he peaked, Rick? Is it irresponsible for me to be asking that so early? Well, I mean, he's going down in the polls, yes. Uh, whether he's peaked or not is another question because what goes down can come up. I, I lived through the 2008 campaign with Don, John McCain where he mm-hmm. went from first to last to first. And right. so it's not an easy trick to play, but the reality is it's a long <laughs> way from being decided this this primary election. And, and he'll have another look. I mean, there's going to be a time when you know this all gets scrambled up again, whether it's through another indictment or the debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are going to be bumps in the road for everybody. And the question is, can he take advantage of that? So the uh, the Tell It Like It Is pack, which is supporting Chris Christie, is out with a new ad uh, with eyes on the debate, which is apparently one week from today. Yes, that's correct. 
uh, Milwaukee, the first RNC debate. Donald Trump's already talking about running a competing event. And Chris Christie really wants to show up because that, you know, is obviously the moment he's looking for. Here's what the ad sounds like. Because that's what they'll say if you show up, especially that guy, Christie. It's the chicken ad. But if you don't go, you'll be called a coward, a chicken, reduced to throwing spitballs from the sidelines. So, Donald, you need to decide. Are you a chicken? (laughs) <laughs> or just a loser. And this is apparently a real ad plan in three states. Uh, what do you think, Jeannie? Does it does it actually lay the bait here in the right way? I think it does. I think this is a winner for Christie either way, whether Trump shows up or not. And it will probably succeed in goading Trump into coming. Let's not forget, Chris Christie knows Trump very, very well. And Chris Christie holds Trump responsible for almost killing him with COVID during that debate in 2020. So it's a lot of personal animus in addition to political animus. And he is going to do everything in his power to show that Trump is a chicken if he doesn't show up that debate. And if he shows up to take him to task for what he described. Um, as you know the the evils which trump engaged in in the following the 2020 election does this actually uh, go donald trump to into doing something rick or does it say more about chris christie's need for him to be in person on the stage first i applaud the use of chickens in campaign commercials <laughs> uh and i'm not saying i ever did it but people used to dress up like a chicken and walk around people's events calling them chickens so this just is an electronic version of that and i'm all for it because i think it's perfectly timed uh look he's trying to get under trump's skin and he's trying to get attention and this does both okay well we'll see it uh, do you expect that that he'll actually show up because he's talking about doing a show with tucker carlson now and i suspect That'll get much better ratings than the RNC. Well, the only thing I know for sure is there will be a guy in a chicken outfit at that debate. (laughs) I want to hear more about this. What do you think, Jeannie? How many candidates are on that stage? Because it's actually pretty interesting. At this point, what, only two or three candidates would be Will Hurd, Mike Pence, maybe the governor of uh, North Dakota don't make it? That's it, though. That's it. Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah, Yeah, he's saying he is making it. So it's going to be, you know, a a fairly good size, probably not as big as we saw in 2016, but it's going to be a fairly big size. And and who knows? I don't know if they still have time to qualify at this point. But, you know, I think the real question is going to be, does Trump show up? He doesn't really have much of a reason to show up, except if he is so frustrated by the chicken calls that he decides to show up and take it to people like Chris Christie. And that is just going to be so much fun for all of us. That's right. So Asa Hutchinson, that that's the other. Mike Pence, will, it would be the Pence-Hutchinson-Herd debate. I guess Bergham, we'll see how he does, but I understand the money's been flowing, so who knows uh, what happens with the undercard, if you will. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. 
com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Eagle Pass is a section of our southern border in Texas that has seen the second highest number of migrant crossings this year. That is why Governor Greg Abbott chose Eagle Pass for the new buoy and barbed wire experiment that has now got the attention of the federal government. The Justice Department has notified Abbott, and for that matter, the Attorney General uh, in Texas, uh, that it's pursuing legal action to remove the barrier that is actually goes right down the middle of the Rio Grande. Imagine the floating buoys intertwined with razor wire. It's not new. Governor talked about it on Fox News on the 14th of July. We have uh, razor wire, uh, mile after mile after mile of razor wire uh, that prohibit people from being able to enter into Texas in the first place. And, and right behind that razor wire are National Guard soldiers and Texas Department of Public Safety officers making sure those people do not get in. Every single day, we're adding more of that razor wire. In addition to that, we now have these uh, buoys in, in the water to prevent people from even crossing the middle part uh, of the Rio Grande River coming into the state of Texas. So they say this is unlawful. The DOJ says uh, it's unlawful pointing them to Section 10 of the Rivers and Harbors Act because it also could be a barrier for passage here uh, in the Rio Grande. And some say that it is also, well, inhumane. You ever run into some barbed wire before? Let's assemble the panel for their take on this because we're going to be hearing a lot about it. The governor of Texas uh, is pushing back in a statement saying Texas will fully utilize our sovereign authority to respond to the border crisis. That he, and he name checks POTUS on Twitter that he he tags him that he says POTUS created. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano certainly have thoughts on this. Bloomberg Politics contributors uh Jeannie, who wins this battle? Um, you know, I'll tell you who loses are these people trying to cross the border. There was the leak from Mike Nicholas Wingate, I think is his name, a medic, a DPS officer, leaked to the Houston Chronicle an email he sent to his supervisors detailing the inhumanity of what's happened there. As we hear Abbott talking about the razor wire proudly, you have a pregnant woman, 19 years old, caught in the razor, had to be cut out and had a miscarriage. You have a man trying to save a child caught in the razor wire, deeply cut up while he was trying to get him free. A 15-year-old with a broken leg. 
children, this, this medic reports being kicked back into the river. And the whole point is that Operation Lone Star that the governor likes to talk about has not succeeded in sending people back across the river. It has killed them. It has maimed them. It, it has required medical care. And what he's done, and the Houston Chronicle's reporting on this beautifully, mm-hmm. is he has ensured that the border patrol that is trying to get these people water and care is having to contend with razor wire and this illegal buoy that he's put there. So it should, I'm glad the DOJ filed these charges. This is a danger and it is also illegal in the state, federal and international courts. The Department of Public Safety trooper that Jeannie refers to wrote that the wire is increasing the number of drownings, Rick, because it's forcing people into deeper parts of the water when they try to cross. Is this is this the wrong move for Governor Abbott? Because he would tell you it's this type of diversion that is needed. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell how this is going to end. I'm certainly not an expert in the uh, 1800s provisions that govern the Rio Grande and and where the border is. But it's pretty obvious that the federal government, you know, controls that waterway in a partnership with with the Mexican government. And I suspect they overrule the state of Texas Uh, on land, uh, their ability to put a fence up is pretty well proven over mm-hmm. time and so uh whether it's the buoys or the razor wire I, you know like i don't want to i don't want to mince words but like there that's where the legal arguments are going to go uh the moral arguments are exactly what Jeannie said uh, mm-hmm. the fact that we're still talking about you know people uh being mistreated like this even though they're trying to enter the country illegally uh the greatest country for good in the world hasn't got a better solution uh, than to expose children and pregnant women to razor wire makes no sense at all. Well, there you have it. Um, it's also a risk to navigation. I don't know how much stuff is crossing the Rio Grande at this uh, in, in, during this season at this time of year, but the images that we've seen make it look like there's plenty of water in there, and we know there's plenty of water to drown in, Jeannie. I just wonder if that's a reason in itself uh, for Texas to pull back on this. It absolutely is. We had Beto O'Rourke come out and say 26 asylum seekers this year drowned and died crossing. He accused the governor of having blood on his hands. And, you know, politically, Democrats have had a really tough time addressing what is a real crisis at the border, even though crossings are down this time of year. And yet Abbott has almost single-handedly handed them a line. We heard, you know, not just from Beto O'Rourke, but Roland Gutierrez, Joaquin Castro, Henry Cuellar, who doesn't often agree with the others, all of them taking the governor to task for what they describe as inhumane treatment at the border. So politically, this is a loser for the governor, not just a legal loser. And again, violating all kinds of international, federal and state laws. Well, this is going to be obviously a major issue on the campaign trail, uh, Rick. Certainly once we get through the Republican primary and we're in a general. uh, And a lot of the, the, the real worries about what might happen and the dire predictions of what might happen following the end of Title 42 have not come true. To what extent uh, will Joe Biden uh, have a leg to stand on in this argument? Uh, It's going to be hard for Democrats to make a good news story out of this. Oh, gee, we have less illegal immigration than we had before. Mm. Um, And so it it cuts both ways. Uh, Certainly their constituencies uh, want more of a comprehensive reform. Uh, Republicans build the wall types. Uh, Look, I mean, you know, two of the key states this year, two of the six swing states by most people's evaluation for the presidential election are Georgia and Arizona, Arizona being a border state and Georgia being affected by the Gulf. 
you know, this is, you know, I hate to say it, but Republicans are going to probably have the advantage here because uh, a lot of people have been tired away the uh, current administration has handled the immigration. And even though, as you point out, you didn't have this huge flood right after uh, Title 42 ended, um, you still have a lot of illegal immigration coming across the border. I guess to your point, it's more difficult uh, to, to make the argument when you're saying it's not as bad as some people thought it would be. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our great panel, with some final thoughts coming up next here. And in, in a story in the in the case of Texas that we're talking about that we're going to keep an eye on for you, and we'll let you know when there is some resolution. But this could take a minute as the DOJ faces off with the Lone Star State on the buoys and the barbed wire. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I just want to say happy anniversary. (laughs) 50th anniversary of hip-hop coming up here. It's actually next month. So I'm getting a jump on this, but it's important because they passed a resolution in the Senate commemorating this anniversary, Kaylee Lines. Yeah. And it's something that the majority leader is very excited about. This is because it was 1520 Cedric Ave in the Bronx, his hometown where hip hop was born. Hip hop has transcended language, race, age, both geographic and socioeconomic barriers. Many people can attest to the fact that hip hop actually changed their lives for the better gave them purpose and meaning. I know many of them myself, who, many of whom are New York City and Bronx residents. So hip-hop is great. Hey. It's a uniquely American art form that quickly blossomed into a global movement. Now, did you know, however, that actually the majority leader is a bit of a rapper? I did not, I, I did not know this personally. This is new information to me. But it's a me. day like this, an important inflection point like this that brings us to this moment. It was... It was August of 2021 when the majority leader laid down some skills. I want to say something here. Jumani says he's the highest ranking black elected official in New York. What about me? <laughs> okay, now on to the... Hold up, hold up, hold up, Chuck. What's your, what's your oh, new name? What's your new name? Name. Hey, I'm going to give you a little... I'm going to give you some verse. Come on now. Killer Chuck. Killer Chuck. Chuck. Killer Chuck. Killer Chuck. <laughs> this is quite okay, a warm-up. Here we go. Here we go. Name is Chuck Schumer, notorious CES. And we all know that Brooklyn's the best. Raise your hands, give a shout. Now I'm going to shut up because my rhyme ran out. Not bad, right? That was not bad. It did rhyme. If you're the majority leader of the U.S. Senate, you could do a lot worse than that. The 50th anniversary, I believe it's the 11th of August. We'll talk about it. All right. I look forward to that next month. Poor Kaylee Lines never knows what's going to happen when she walks in the studio. But I'm always happy to be part of it with you. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. Will Killer Chuck be here? Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.